Welcome to this episode of Spiritual Hustle. I'm Anthony Filipovich, and along with co-host Justin Sobinski, we're pleased to welcome Tim Burfield to the podcast this week. Uh, Tim is an entrepreneur. He's been one for the last 25 years. He's built order management and billing systems that have processed hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, he's revamped the infrastructure for a company in Reno that, and made it uh, successfully go public. And more recently, he's been the co-founder and CEO of Wired Insights. Wired helps young people uh, get a foot into the, um, the tech industry and helps them grow uh, and become more professional. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Tim, um, I think what, we're, what we'd like to start is an understanding of what motivated the creation of Wired Insights and the things you've learned uh, since starting it. You, you mentioned before that... Um, you probably are uniquely uh, qualified to talk about the generational differences between boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, and millennials, right? And it seems like a lot of people talk about the issue millennials are having in finding their place in the world and getting motivated and moving forward like in, in, the, in a manner that um, makes them happy and productive. So um, let's, start, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Maybe, like, like I said, we can start at what motivated the creation of Wired Insights? Yeah, um, well, what motivated the creation of it was, uh, you know, I lost my son uh, over a year ago, and uh, I had to start looking at my life and, you know, what I want to do with it at, at this point. And looking back over the last 20 or so years, the most joy I had in life was mentoring younger people, to, you know, in technology or, or a couple other areas of life, but mostly technology. And that was the most fulfilling thing that, that I had been able to do. In fact, uh, one of the last people I mentored, she's now uh, in Los Angeles and she works for UCLA as a web developer and, and making good money and she's very happy, you know, and that's all I wanted for this person was to help her get to where she wanted to be. And so every time I talk to her, I look back on that, it's like, all right, that's a huge win for me, you know? So I wanted more of that in my life. So um, I took a... a Young person, Nikki Hillman is her name. She's my co-founder. And we started Wired Insights. And um, Nikki herself was an intern when I met her uh, at a company that we, we were taking public and just had a lot of talent. And we just kept you know, working with her. And, and she just uh, grew so fast and just uh, so much talent as a designer and, and just a great person that uh, I co-founded this company with her. And we started with the mentoring program first then sort of built a, uh, a company around it, which, you know, from a business standpoint, not the, not the brightest thing I could have done, right. but, uh, but it's working out so far. So that's, that was really the genesis of the whole thing was I want to be able to help as many young people as possible to get into jobs. Uh, I, I can tell you, you know, like going to the millennial problem, when we first started this whole thing up, we were at a startup fair and we had an ad put out that said um, something to the, Something like, you know, jumpstart your career, build your portfolio, build experience while you learn. And, um, and these were for unpaid internships. We had almost 100 applicants for these things because these young people, they, everywhere they go, it's like, well, we need you already have experience, but nobody will give them the experience. So we're able to bring them in. They're, they're not interns or mentees in our mentoring program. If you come in and you're a web developer here as a, as a mentee, you are a web developer. Right. And we teach them how to sit down and actually meet real clients. We have a whole interview guide. We uh, try to really help them with the social skills and working with other people to, uh, 
be able to succeed in business because so much of it is interpersonal skills. I would say like 80, 85% of it is interpersonal skills. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, people are emotional, uh, emotional based and businesses are, are people based. So that ability to connect with other people is, is just huge. Right. And I remember um, I, I was, I think we're around the same age and I got, when I got into the tech field, there was always this discussion. Like if you get a good technical person um, and he's a pain in the ass, is, is he still yeah. worth keeping around? Right. And, and the, and the, and the <laughs> process for a long time is, well, he's good. So let's keep him around, even though he's a pain in the ass, right. Even though he can't communicate with anyone and pisses everybody off. Like he, he knows his shit. And then I remember, I think somewhere in the late '80s, Harvard Business School did a, did an analysis of that, and their their conclusion, hands down, was that um, it's having a person like that is detrimental to the company in many ways, right? Oh and, yeah, and mostly from the perspective that uh, it demoralizes everyone else, right? So, oh, absolutely, right. So that interpersonal skill, be able to work with people. That, that is critical. Yeah, it is, a, it is really a big deal. I mean, in some of my uh, earlier businesses, when I needed help, I was going to hire somebody. Right. I wanted to hire somebody that would represent me to my client the way I wanted. And if they didn't have the technical skills, fine. Those I can teach them. Right. But the personal skills, those were harder to come by. And now we've got a generation of kids. We'll call them millennials and uh, Gen Z, not quite as bad. Gen Z is generally looked at as, as young people born 1995 and after. And now we've got uh, Generation Alpha, which is kids 2010 and after. So now we've got the children of millennials and then Gen Z kind of uh, stuck in the middle. But um, a lot of these kids, you know, the way they learned to communicate was 140 characters at a time, you know, texting <laughs> or whatever. So they don't have the, they don't really have the context of another human face there, you know, another that interpersonal interaction. And so to bring these young people in. And to put them in groups where they're working together on projects. And we just basically, we try to instill in them our, our, our core values or, or attributes. Core would stand for, in this case, uh, collaboration, openness, respect, and empathy. So we try to get, we try to Say teach that. that. What, what did that? What, what did, yeah, our core is collaboration, openness, respect, and empathy. And from those traits, trust is an emergent property. And now when you have a group that has trust, there's almost nothing you can accomplish together or can't accomplish together. Sorry. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. Uh, and, and Justin is a millennial, right? And the question in regards to millennials, like how do you, how do you go about motivating them? And I remember you talked in one of your videos about a, a woman um, that you hired that was late coming to work. There, there were, you know, there, there were performance challenges, right? And in that situation, how did, you, how did you get beyond that? How did you teach them? Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing that's really interesting, I mean, I'm Generation X. So Gen X and Gen, uh, Gen Y or Millennial are, are pretty similar in that we want to have purpose in our job. We expect the people that we work for to, to look at what we're doing and to mentor us to some degree. And uh, I think everybody needs that. Right. But the, the thing that I've found is that if you want to attract, you know, young people to work for you, your company has to have a vision that they can get behind. And you've got to show that your company has values that mirror their own. You can't, um, you know, what was the analogy you used to use? And the other, this is the other thing about it, because younger people now are so 
everything about their lives is so just on display on social media. So if you're an animal lover and you go get a job at a kill shelter, your friends are going to call you on it real quick. There's, so there's almost that accountability there. And that even goes beyond the person's own, you know, morals and ethics and beliefs about what it is they want to do with their life. So you've got to really have a vision for your company and you've got to put it out there in a way that other people want to get behind it. It's got to be powerful enough and be doing some good so that the people you want to work for, you go, yeah, I want that. I want to be part of that. I can line up with that. Yeah, and if you can, uh, they don't want to work for you. That, uh, that, yeah, that definitely resonates with me because, uh, you know, in my head, and, and I know plenty of people like this also, there are certainly companies to whom to pay me any sort of money and I still would not work for them. Um, you know, Comcast comes to mind almost immediately for some reason. Um, but I, 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 and, and I, I understand like the, the point of the values is, is the key, uh, point there because I'll talk to like, I, you know, I, I'll interact with people who work at these companies that everyone small Comcast will call up and say, Hey, we're going to turn off your, your, your internet because you're a day late and we're going to charge you to turn it back on. And I, I have my question. I'm like, how, how could you work for a company that, that does this turning on, on and off, which it doesn't cost them any money. You know, it, it just, these little tick for tat things this is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar company. Why, why do they care about uh, somebody not having internet for a day? Um, and uh, it, and that, that was just one example, but, but it's just like, it's, it, it's fast. I find it fascinating when um, the, the pushback between somebody who, who cares more about values as opposed to having a job and, uh, and how much uh, undervalued that is in our society. Sure, sure. I, I think one of the great um, attributes of millennials, just younger people in general now, is that we'll look at older people, look at boomers, look at Gen X. Let's look at businesses of the 80s and the 90s, right? the difference between business ethics and personal morals, there was a huge gap there and it seemed acceptable. It was all right. And now that gap is getting more and more narrow. So in business, a lot of, a lot of people won't do something that they wouldn't do morally. They think is morally wrong just because I get away with it in business or those are the ethics or the special set of rules. And so I think that's getting us better and better business people. Um, I think it's a great trend. I mean, I think it's the way that things need to go. And that's why I, I think millennials are such an amazing generation. Um, and, and the thing is they get tarred with the, they all get tarred with the same brush, you know, Oh, you're entitled and this, I mean, the entitled word, Oh my gosh, comes up so much. And Oh, narcissistic, you know, that's the thing. Well, they, they've done a, they did a study. Um, I can't remember which university it was, but they looked at uh, psychological narcissism and they compared Boomers to Gen Xers, Gen Xers to Millennials. And they found that Millennials were 50% more narcissistic than Gen Xers. They're like, see, they're narcissistic. What they didn't tell you, though, was that Gen Xers were 50% more narcissistic than Boomers. So it's a trend, and they just pull that out. I mean, there was, a, I think it was Time Magazine back in the, I think, early 90s, late 80s. I can't remember what it was now. But they did a whole article just bashing Generation X. Worst generation ever. They don't care about anything. They have no empathy. They just watch MTV because, you know, we were the MTV generation. Is that how they coined it? And then it just became Gen X. Like X being a variable. We didn't know what to do with it. So we're the first ones to have a variable afterwards. And uh, now I think the Gen X, our generation is here to basically back clean it. You've got one generation that rode the elevator to the top and decided to cut the cable after themselves. Now we've got to take care of them. And at the same time, the people younger than us, we've got to care for and finish raising them. 
So it's yeah, so, being a Gen Xer is pretty interesting at this point. Um, yeah, I, I got a couple of questions about that. So, so you you, you kind of you know did a facepalm with the entitlement thing in it, and I kind of see that um, someone coming out of college um, with no experience, um, as you know, for example, myself. Um, what what was I entitled? Uh, why why would I? Uh, I, I guess. Why would I think that there's anything that I deserve after graduating college other than, you know, um, if I was going to do web design, I, I Uber drove and on the weekends and any time that I had, I would build websites for um, my friends and family until I actually learned that, wow, web design is actually super easy and I can, I can do this. And now I have two years of experience while working. Why, why should I expect that I have a job? Why should I expect um, any of this stuff? without actually working for it. Well, I, I think the expectation comes from the narrative that millennials are raised with. And I was raised with that to a, quite a degree uh, as well. It's the story, you know, you get good grades in school, you go to college, you get a job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so many millennials were, were raised with, no, no, you, you go to college, you get a job, you're going to make this kind of money. That's why we have a huge gap in, you know, blue collar workers right now. You know, I, I talk to different companies uh, here locally. There's a roofing company I know, a plumbing company, and another construct, another couple of construction, uh, you know, type of companies. And they go, I can't get millennials to work for me. They come in and then they quit. Uh, they just don't want to work. Well, that that's really not the case. It it really came down to a conversation about, okay, how do you market your company to your clients? Well, we do this, this, this and this. They had a whole whole plan. How do you market to people you want to hire? What do you mean I'm paying them? <laughs> well, you've got a generation. Again, this is why I really um, have such a strong affinity for, for millennials. And again, this is in general because we can't you know, paint everybody with the same brush, but they typically value intrinsic reward more than extrinsic. And so you've got to show these young people like, or if you want to be a roofer, do a video about how cool it is and the, show the projects you've built. And tell the story about the greatest job that you did and how, how happy the client was with what you did and how that made you feel. And show the impact that you make in the world by doing your job. And you will get some, some young people that's going to resonate with and go, yeah, I, I want to do that, or at least for a while. You know, not everybody knows what their purpose is. You know, that, that's the thing. And, and that's okay, because it takes a while to find that. And young people need to have the space to be able to explore and try different things they can find out what it is that drives them and what they love. And it's going to change over time. You know, we, we tell uh, young people here, you know, right now your purpose may very well be to find what your purpose is, which means explore and grow and learn everything you can. So our program here, we run the whole company like it's under glass. So any kid can walk into, if I've got a client meeting, you're welcome to walk right on in and start asking questions. And we train them what kind of questions to, to ask. We do little workshops on all this stuff to try and, you know, get uh, built these skills up for them. But if they want to know how to run a company, we teach about entrepreneurship. They can come ask me about taxes or how to start a business up or what type of business entity they should, they should go with. We've got a couple young people that started their own hosting company out of here and they're just starting their first year of college. And so it's pretty interesting. They're both, you know, uh, computer science majors and the things they're supposed to do, they're like, we've already done all that. There's nothing to it. So, you know, that that's, so to get back to your, your, (laughs) to answer your actual question, Justin, it's, 
I, I think it's a narrative that, you know, millennials are raised with. Mm. You know, you need to go to college. There, there's no question in most families. You're, you're going to college and you're, you're going to work this type of a job, something you know, professional. And so the blue collar jobs are just not shown with any kind of value where really there, there's a tremendous amount of value. Not everybody maybe wants to go to college or wants to take on, you know, a quarter of a million dollars potentially in student debt over time. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. And it, it, I'll open this other little aspect of the conversation is you see more and more kids that aren't going to school or going for more advanced degrees, but they are able to find all the things they need online. There's online schools, there's micro degrees. And, um, you know, in my day, <laughs> we went to the university because that's where the knowledge was. That's where the best teachers were and all the knowledge is. Well, now you can go on YouTube and you can watch all the lectures of Jordan Peterson, one of the greatest clinical psychologists I think we've got going, one of the greatest minds we've got going right now. It's all there for free. So they're going to go to where the knowledge is. And I think colleges need to step up their game and, and basically lower their pricing down and figure out how to, how to get this going or we're going to have a real problem in another, another 10, 20 years. Yeah, I'd say 30 years we're, we're looking at. I was going to ask you that question about the, the, the knowledge and, and information. And, and our, our uh, it, it was my generation that was like, uh, my generation generates the end of Generation Y. That was, um, we left college and we were like, hey, that was a lot of partying, but, but uh, talking straight with everybody, we got gypped out of, uh, for me, $20,000, my sister, like $60,000. So, um, we did not learn things <laughs> that, yeah. that were... Not, not just uh, profitable, but but untrue things, things that I we had to unlearn that uh, because the you know you, you know Jordan Peterson, so you know the whole spiel about um, about uh, education. We don't need to run jump down that rabbit hole, but um, yeah, um, I, I agree with that. It, it's interesting now, now that the all the knowledge is on the internet, and uh, it, it's almost like every how-to has ever been written, and now it's like everyone wants to know. So we know all the how-tos; we can learn anything. Um, now, why? Why? What are we going to do? Like, why would I want to do anything? What, what? Like, what is the reason behind me wanting to do? Now that I have all these avenues that I can uh, approach, I can, um, you know, it, it's an interest. It's just like an interesting transition point. Yeah, and, and you know, and I think there's so much knowledge out there. Like you said, trying to find why do I want to do this? Why do that? You know, you you go back to uh, the 1950s, and somebody that's going to grow up to be a farmer, they know where they're going to be in life by the time they're probably 12. They've got to figure it out, the education they need. They'll yeah. keep you know, growing as they go, of course, but the, the bulk of it's there. Now we have so much information out there. There's so many things that you can do. It, I think it takes much, much longer to, to reach any kind, of, any kind of maturity anymore, to, to really grow into you know, mental adulthood, I think might take until you're in your 30s anymore. You know, and in any field that, and yeah, in any field you go into, like when I went into computer science, there was no internet yet. Mm-hmm. So you, you just learn programming, you learn some hardware, some electrical engineering, if you liked, it, you know, and then you got your degree and you went on your merry way. Now you've got all the knowledge that I had to have, plus everything that's happened in all those years, you know, since then, you've got to learn all that just to be competent as a programmer, you know, in computer science now, there's so much more to learn. It, it's so much more complex and it's growing faster all the time. The, the growth is exponential. So it, it's going to take a long time to reach that that level so um i mean you, you know jordan peterson so you, you brought up a, a really interesting point about um, maturity taking a lot longer um because of my, my whole theory with with my generation is that um 
is that we're experiencing a, a cultural um, Peter Pan syndrome where we're all afraid to, to grow up and we also use our little lingos and, and we don't we don't speak um, adult and we don't act adult. We don't go to sleep at of the right time at night <laughs> and uh, and waking up is just a, a you know, nobody's nobody's being an adult. Nobody's taking responsibility for any, any uh, for their actions or anything. Um, and that now that you, when you brought in that, that other point about um, uh, about it taking longer to mature simply because we, we have to figure out so much more stuff because there is so much more stuff to learn out there. Um, it could justify the uh, this kind of this feeling of all of my friends and me being being 29 and uh, and still like, you know, doing all the goofy stuff that we do. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, too. At 47, if I would have known how young 29 is when I was 29, it would have done things differently. <laughs> but but that's just it. Instead of going, you've got to grow up and do this and do that. You've got to have that room to figure out what you want to do in life and what really motivates you. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, generations prior, it was go to school, go to college, get a good job. That's it. You know, get married. That's it. No one teaches you how to be happy. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what I found. I mean, I look back like, I'm talking years back. I look, do I actually know when I'm happy or how to be happy? You know, no, nobody ever told me, you know, when I go out to play as a kid, Hey, make sure you have fun. It was be safe, be safe, be home by this time. But my kids, I go, you know, have fun, make sure that you have fun. And you've just got to have the room to, to grow and to learn. And, um, but you have a gener- you have other generations prior that are in jobs that they're just miserable in. And that's where I found myself. And after my son, it was like, you know what? Life is too short for me to someday, you know, make this work and, and be happy. I, as far as software development had gone, it's like, I was done. You know, I'd accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in it. Um, I didn't have it in me anymore after my son to, uh, you know, pull all-nighters and go two, three days with no sleep to get projects done. Didn't want anything to do with it anymore. And um, I don't want other people to be miserable like that. Wake up one day and go, literally years I've wasted. You know, I'm, I'm just not happy. And you've got to be able to find that thing that you're going to do that makes you happy. And I can tell you, you guys right now that every day I do pretty much what I want to do, doing what I love doing with people I love, respect, and admire. That's my life now. And that's what I think everybody should be able to have. If not, what's, what's the point of being alive? And that's awesome. Yeah. Anything else is, is, is slavery anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Cause I, I'm still in that, uh, that it world. Um, so did you think if, um, if your son uh, hadn't died that maybe you'd still be in that old world or was that the, the initiative that kind of finally pushed you through the door? Yeah. I, you know, I, I go back and forth with that and I think about, okay, is that really why I did it or did it accelerate it at least? Cause I wasn't happy, but the thing that, again, the thing that I really liked were the, the people I was working with, even at right. the time, that's why I went back every day yeah. and I had, you know, at least two people there that I was mentoring and, um, you know, the one uh, ended up, she ended up in LA and then the other one's my co-founder. And, uh, you know, I'm still mentoring her. And the, the next step for her is going to be the CEO of this company, take the whole thing over. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I think because of my son, it, it, I think it gave me license to take the risks and just do it. 
you know, uh, if I would have crawled inside of a bottle for a while, I don't think anybody would have faulted me for it. Right. So why not do something positive instead? I didn't want to be that guy that everybody go, oh, that, that poor guy lost his son. You know, I wanted to do, I wanted to do something positive with it. And uh, I, I really think that gave me the license to do it. And my oldest son, uh, Mason, works here with me now. He um, does all of our video editing and uh, post-production work. And with the whole mentoring program, you know, we, we really see this as a way to sort of honor Kyle, you know, on top of it. So oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's, it, uh, it, it keeps me going. You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, I think I would have eventually done this. And I think, well, I do have a, a, third, uh, a third partner in this that came in a little bit later. He um, was a guy that I worked with and mentored like 15 years back. And he came up and uh, he's got a small company. And I had him sit down and, and be the client in our client interview process. And, um, you know, the kids came in, asked him questions, went through all the, uh, the forms that we have. Sort of, it's a loose form on how to get out of clients. Why? Why did they start their business? And even if they didn't, ask the right questions to sort of pull it out of them. Because a lot of people don't know why. Right. And uh, we'll have clients that leave here that didn't have a why or didn't realize what it was. But when they leave here, they're, they're full of energy. They're hopped up, man. They're, they're ready to go. But for us, you know, marketing another somebody's business, if we know why they started the business, what their purpose is behind it, that's the message you want to get out there. You want to find that authentic message. Going back to millennials, I think that's what rings, rings true with them is authenticity. The, the other thing I love about millennials is they're impervious to the garbage marketing that my generation grew up with. You know, where a guy with a big, overly bright smile lies to you and <laughs> or just, they flash images about whatever brand and you're supposed to buy it. They want to know why they're supposed to do it. And um, so getting at the, the why of it is, is essential. So, and I might have trailed off there. What was the question? <laughs> no, 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 that, that, that's fine. <laughs> the amount of stuff that, that you brought to the table on that without it, without it remembering the questions, there's a lot of good stuff there. Uh, yeah, but that, that's that's what I love doing now is is um, sitting down with with our clients and, and getting at that why. Oh, so I was talking about my third, the other partner. So uh, he went through the process and um, had, I had him go in the other room, talk with the kids, and we we analyzed. Well, how did this go? Where are some other questions? And do you feel like you found out why he wants to his business is uh, doing uh, backups, you know, data data backups online. I go, did you get it? Why he really wanted to do this? We're like, oh, I would have asked this or would have asked that. I go, let's bring him back in. So I go grab my friend and I go, hey, we want to do this again. He goes, okay, no problem. Sits down, go through the whole interview process, and the kids just they nailed it. We go to dinner later that night, my my friend uh, Mike and I, and he goes, you know, and I mean, this just about about brought tears to my eyes. He goes, you know, Tim, um, you know, since I've been up here, you introduced me to Simon Sinek. I watched the videos. Uh, I saw what you're doing with the, with the, these young people and on all this and all this stuff that you showed me because you don't realize that you've been doing that for over 15 years. That's what you did with me. You mentored me. And I always thought that um, if I had the money, I, I'd want to do something like this. I want this to be my purpose too. I want to open a Wired Insights in, in Henderson, Nevada. So we're, now we're getting our business license in Henderson and we're going to try, we're working to expand there. And that was a few months back. And, uh, he's a really good person for me to have because I'm sort of more visionary and I'll just kind of take off and he's coming at it from the opposite angle and sort of grounds me. So I don't, I don't get too much trouble, but um, even the way that we formed this company is yeah, I'm the CEO, but I, and you know, the main founder, I guess, 
But uh, the way it's structured is I don't own 51% of it. And it's that way on purpose. The three of us own 60% of the entire company. The rest is, is in stock where we take investors later on or, or do whatever. But if I'm not doing a good job as CEO, they can vote me out. You know, it's the three of us on the board and they've got enough power between the two of them. They can vote me out. Or if I come up with some way, some direction I want to take the company and my vision's not strong enough that they can't get behind it and I can't sell them on it, they go, we disagree and I can't go forward. So we build a lot of accountability into this company where most people would never do it that way. Yeah, I've never heard of it being done that way. That, that, that's very interesting. Yeah, and it, it's an example for the type of uh, people that we want to build out of the mentoring program, people that have accountability, that work together, you know, that they can run things as, as part of a team rather than a dictatorship. It's like you built your uh, your ethics and uh, morality into the corporation itself, which is pretty cool. That that was really the the whole goal of it. A lot of people say, "Well, are you, are you guys, uh, you know, like a benefits corporation or like a you know B corporation?" No, we're a Delaware C corporation, a for profit corporation, because the whole point is to show that you can mentor young people, bring them up to speed, and be profitable. And the goal for this is to be able to take our mentoring program and put it into different companies where we're just going to give it away. Here you go. Here's how you administer it. Here's how you teach it. Here's the type of little courses that we do inside of it. Go for it. Take it down the line. You know, the next thing will probably be real. We write a book. Um, the whole speak to inspire thing was I, I, when I did speak to inspire, I knew it was going to start this company. I'm like, Oh man, I might have to be able to pitch investors. And, and I want to feel really confident when I talk to clients and I've been, really the front man for a corporation in the last few years because I've been a chief technology officer instead of the CEO. I was a CTO. And I just wanted to, I don't know, just be able to make sure I could pull that, pull that out of myself. Right. And, um, and, you know, now that's, that's the type of things that we, we teach here. So it's, it, that, that was the whole purpose of it was to just be, just be open and have a group of young people that come out of here that are just stellar human beings awesome at what they do and just be highly sought after for companies to hire. But uh, like I was saying, the mentoring program, I know I'm bouncing around a little bit, but the mentoring program, we want to be able to just give away and put in as many companies as will take it and have the biggest impact we possibly could, you know, help as many young people get into jobs as possible. That's amazing. All of a sudden I want to open up a franchise in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's one of the places we want to do Keep you in mind. <laughs> That's amazing. So I have so many questions uh, that coming up. One question, and it's like the practical question being in the IT business for so long, is like the, the revenue model for something like this. Like this sounds like a great thing to do and that will definitely make you happy. Um, but how do you make money? How do you keep going with, with this? Like what is your revenue model? That's an excellent question. <laughs> so... You know, there's, um, when we first got into this, there's another company I own, and it's um, it's my billing, basically my billing platform that I built over the years. It's still out there. Right. Thought, well, you know, that we've got competition on this. It's doing something like a million dollars a month. So I could teach young people, and I could build that up and uh, go that way with it and build the company. But then it's like, well, look, the thing is that we've got kids that want to do marketing and web design and just graphic design for print. So we started taking on all these other, these other clients. And so right now we're sort of in a, um, almost a development shop kind of a mode 
where we've got to go out and find clients and, and we're doing websites and it, it's, it's picking up. We're doing all right. But uh, the revenue model we're going to do now is we've got to find recurring revenue to get this thing more stable and then we can grow it out more easily. So we've got a couple different, uh, I brought on a, an old friend of mine that um, he successfully ran a hundred million dollar company that I worked with him on in, in Las Vegas years and years back. So now he's helping us with business development. So we're doing a lot of um, social media marketing where we'll do you know, a recurring monthly fee. But what makes us really different and gets that create, you know, that creativity going is we actually have a studio here. So we've got a podcast studio, a video studio, we've got green screens, we, we go out to clients and we uh, we'll even do interviews with them and, and you know, video uh, what they do. So where we're finding our value, and this is really our revenue model or sort of the secret sauce of it, I guess, is anybody can put stuff out there for you on social media. And any, anybody can do that. The problem is getting original content and that's what we're able to do for our clients. So we can manage all that stuff, market for you, get to the, the whole why of what you do. We can put great content on your website, build a beautiful website. And then on top of that, we can build this original content that we market your company and market you. And so what we do now, it's really, it's branding. So our, our you know, our new, uh, like a catchphrase or whatever you want to call it, would be, you know, brands build businesses, we build brands. Wow. And the whole, again, the whole reason behind that is just like what we're doing for the young people here. We want to be able to take these business owners that come in and get at what their why is, what their purpose is, and help them to find it and achieve it. And, you know, marketing this for them is, is the best way to do it. So that, that's really the model is um, for everything that we do. It's, it's branding and it's a recurring business model, recurring mm-hmm. revenue. Okay, so, so you basically set yourself up as a consulting company uh, for building out technology, but more specifically mm-hmm. branding, and, and you're using these these young people coming in to like assist and become the consultants and the workers for, uh, that interact with these clients. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's pretty cool. And what's what's really great about a mentoring program like this, whether it's for us or somebody else uses it. Right. It, it allows you to bring in new young people all the time. So you get fresh young ideas. You get to stay up on what's really going on, what's happening. And the ones that you can help find jobs, great. As your company grows, the ones that you want to keep, they want to work for you. Most people, they can't, they can't find millennials to work for. We, we can hardly get rid of them, you know, <laughs> because they like working here because we, we, we love having them here. We let them know that. So you, you, know, must, you must have a core set of millennials, like more or less full-time. They might rotate in or out, but there must be a core group of them there. Yeah, we've, we've got a couple that are here now permanently. Um, the program itself, you know, when we started, we really didn't know what we were doing. We, we wanted to help as many people, as young people as we could. Um, and we, we got it rolling. So now we've had to turn into a, it's a three-month uh, program. And we want the kids to be here, you know, minimum 10 hours a week. Because any less than that, we're not we're not spending enough time with them to get them through it in, in the three months. Sometimes we extend it, but right. typically it's three months. And uh, you know, every two weeks we meet with them and we look at okay, what is it you did the last two weeks? We help them put that on their resume. You know, here's how you craft your resume. You can say you did this and did that. You have experience doing these things now. We ask them what they love about what they're doing, what things they don't like, what other things do you want to learn. So if you're basically, if you're a web designer here, you've never written any kind of code, 
well, we've got a little course that's introduction to programming for web designers or, you know, for just graphic designers. So they understand how it all works together. You know, my co-founder, Nikki, she and I were able to knock out projects so quick because I really taught her what went on under the hood. Here's how the database works. And here's the fields that come out of this that go on this website. So when you're designing the front end, you've got to make it match what the data is that's available. And so she knows what goes on under the hood. She's not a programmer, but she's got a really good feel for it. And so when she designs a front end for some application or website, she knows how that data and everything should you know, interplay. And it makes it much, much better, much faster to get things done. That's uh, yeah, that's awesome because um, you know I'm a, I'm a web designer too, and um, there's like a difference between putting lipstick on a website and like actually knowing what like you don't need to know uh, how to build you know uh, programs from scratch or anything. Definitely don't because you know you Stack Overflow and everything. But um, just having a general idea puts makes your the design functionality uh, so much better and so much more versatile. Um, so, so that's, that's pretty awesome. I, I, um, what I want to get back to though, is, um, uh, Anthony brought up morals and ethics and we've been talking about value and, and, uh, values. And, um, this is sort of what's been on my mind for like the last two, three weeks. I actually just made a video about, uh, morals and ethics and, and stuff. And, uh, I, I guess, um, since we've been talking about like, what are the, the values that you're, that you're bringing? Like, what are the core, core values? Like really flesh them out because you, you, you brought them up earlier and I asked you to repeat them and then. And then we, we kind of went through a bunch of other things. And uh, I just want to get back to that because I thought those were very uh, profound and can be expounded upon. Oh, sure. So, um, you know, our core, again, and this was funny. We, we talked about our core values and we had it on the paperwork. And one of our uh, mentees, he goes, you know, if you just rearrange that, it spells core. <laughs> <laughs> so it's much easier to remember now. So it's collaboration. And it's really the ability to work um, as part of a team. So one of the first things that happens when a, a new person comes in here, a mentee comes in, is we teach them how to do a little bit of project management. So we have a physical Kanban board in the other room and we walk them through, you know, here's where you put the first card, here's something that's to do, and then it goes into, you know, in progress, review, and might go, you know, might go to done or might go, you know, back to in progress, depending on what needs, what needs tweaked. And it's a really easy concept but we have them use a physical Kanban board before we put them on when it's virtual, like a product like, you know, Asana or Trello or something. So they physically played around with it. And we still keep that up so I can walk around the room, you know, around the corner here and just look at the wall and I can see where everything's at. So we teach them project management. The first project they have is getting their own personal, uh, you know, like staff member page done. So you got to find yourself a graphic designer, find yourself a web person, uh, maybe a con you know a content person, and you manage that little project to get your page done. We we help you get through all that. So it it makes them work as part of a team. Some of them never have, and teaches them how to manage a very small uh, you know project that's about themselves. And that, that's sort of the introduction, and that that's how we uh, that's how we introduce them to collaboration, the people that need it. And after that, it's just we have a bullpen area and everybody's always just working together. Um, and if you're going to work in any company and succeed, you absolutely got to have the ability to collaborate and work with other people and have those interpersonal skills. So that, that's, that's sort of a, a deeper dive into, into collaboration. That's uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Openness is just, you know, just honesty. And, and uh, we talk about one young guy we had all the time 
we gave him this logo to do to design and it was a for some reason this logo was tough i couldn't crack it <laughs> myself but i'm really not you know i've done logos but i'm not you know it's not my uh my main thing, my bailiwick, if you will. <laughs> it's not, not my main thing. So we give it to him. And, and after a while, he just goes, you know what? Um, I don't feel like I, I know everything I need to be able to do this. I need some help. And we use that example, this guy all the time, he could have just struggled through it and, and been frustrated and come up with something that he wasn't happy with. Or if you don't know something, you have to be open, raise your hand. Hey, I need help. Uh, we teach them right off the bat. If you mess something up, you make a, a mistake. We all made the mistake together. When you do something great, we'll hold you up. Go look at what Joe did. Look at what you know Sam did. Whoever, look at how awesome that is. You so you don't have to worry about someone taking the credit for what you've done when it's good. And if you mess up, we've got your back because we're a team. And uh, the other thing too is we we teach them as as far as that goes. If you're a a manager and you've got a team underneath you. If you can go to your boss and go, look at what my guy here did, look how great that is. Look at what she did. Look at this amazing thing she produced. That makes you look better as a manager, not weaker. They're not going to promote that person under you. That's you managing. That's your guidance. And, and that's how you want to be as a leader. So that, But basically just that openness to be honest. And we also teach them that you know, you're going to have problems that are bigger than yourself. Um, and I'll even use the example of what happened to me with my son. You know, I couldn't have gotten over that alone. It was, uh, you know, gratitude is what pulled me out of it. it. Was other people that stepped up to say, "Hey, you're hurting. Let me help you," or just me being able to. This was the big one for me was learning to be able to ask for help because that was something I wasn't able to do before. Hmm. And now I can, I can be very open and honest. Go, look, I don't know how to fix this. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? Or I'm at a, a point I need some advice. You know, please help me out. And so we teach them that you'll have times in your life where problems are bigger than, than what you can handle on your own. And if people really know that you need help, you will be amazed at how many people will come and help you. And so that, that's really, you know, openness and just being able to say, look, I can't do this. I need help. Um, hey team, help me out. Um, the next one would be respect. I mean, you know, obviously everybody wants to treat everybody else with respect. So that means you're not, putting somebody else down, you're, you're looking at, and this feeds right into empathy, but you're looking at things from their perspective too. So you're respecting where they come from. And then empathy, this, this is really, to me, one of the most powerful ones because empathy is for just a moment when you're going to really have empathy for somebody else, for you to care more about their perspective and what they're going through than you do yourself for just a moment. And for that moment, you care about somebody else more than yourself. That's love. That's what it really is when it boils down to it. It sounds a little sappy, but that <laughs> empathy really is at its core. And so if you're in a team that exercises these traits, you're able to, you're all able to collaborate. There's openness, there's respect, mutual respect and empathy. Now the emergent property is trust. And when you have trust and you know that somebody's got your back, if you stumble and fall, or nobody's going to steal your ideas or they're just going to add to it and they care about you and want to make you better and you're making them better, there's just, there's just no uh, bounds on how much of yourself you put into a project. You know, everybody's free to just give their best and give their all. And with everybody working together like that, there's pretty much anything you can think of you can, you can accomplish. And so that, yeah. that's, that's really our core of the, or the values. I hope that answers it for you. No, that was great. Um, uh, 
yeah, no, that I, um, I, I'm really happy that, uh, that you were able to articulate all those so well and, um, you had to bring those, bring those to bear. And, um, on the empathy one, you know, that, that's something that, that, um, I don't know if I wasn't conscious of it, but it was something that I experienced, um, recently and I was able to acknowledge like, Oh man, this is empathy. This is awesome. But it's, it also hurts a lot because, um, <laughs> I experienced it. My, my daddy, he, um, um the cfo of a diving school and uh and he got fired recently and i just remember when he told me that because it was totally bullshit why he got fired and all, all this stuff uh none of it was his fault um and uh but anyway um um i just remember when he told me i'm like oh my heart like i feel like i was fired <laughs> yeah and, yeah and, and i felt like you know exactly how he felt because because every like if if i leave you know um it, it's different for him because he's much, much older. So it's like more heavy on him and stuff. And, uh, um, those sort of feelings really connect you with, with, uh, with people. And, and you and, and I don't think it's happy at all. That That is definitely like the, the definition of love, uh, in, in terms of, uh, interpersonal relationships. Um, so I, that resonated with me. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a tough one. And, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, if you really want to become empathetic, try practicing it in heavy traffic. That's the best place to practice it. Uh, oh man, he must really be in a rush. Like, uh, yeah. Oh man, I, I hope he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that text was to the president of the United States. I know it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Maybe his mom's sick or fell or something, or you know, who knows why somebody's in a rush? Or maybe this is a one time if they're late to work today, they get fired. Yeah. You just you know, everybody's. Yeah, everybody's got these stresses too, you know. It's like trying to just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. It is not easy. And I wish I could tell you that I do it all the time and I just zen out when I'm on the road, but it does not happen. Not often. I don't know what it is about being uh, behind a wheel of a car, but all, all your ration, rationalist, rationalization kind of goes out the window and you, and you see yourself. And this happened to me a couple of times, looking at myself, like reacting in certain situations the way I would never do like, I would never react in that situation outside of being in the car, right? It's, it's the strangest thing. I'm still trying to reconcile it mentally in my mind. Why get behind the wheel causes that? Yeah, well, think about it. If you if you were walking and bumped into somebody, oh, hey, excuse me, sorry, how you doing? Yeah, exactly. There's, there's this interaction where with the car, it's that that's an avatar for somebody else, you know? Yeah, yeah. When you remove from the other people, it's just that asshole in that other car, well, that guy. You know, it's you, always an asshole in the other car. <laughs> you assume the worst of them. You know, you assume that they're doing everything for the worst possible motives. And if you just go, wait a minute, what would cause me to accidentally cut somebody else off? Because I've, you know, we've all done it. You just yes. didn't see or whatever. Right, like, right. okay, let me give that guy the benefit of the doubt for just a minute. Maybe he is a jerk. Probably is, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because that's what I would want. Yeah. And so that's just respect and, and uh, giving, you know, treating somebody else the way you want to be treated for a minute. So yeah, your, your core values like bring up a very interesting discussion. Um, they all, they all make per, like they all make perfect sense. Like uh, emotionally, you can feel like the value and, and the end result being trust is um, something you need to move forward as a team, right? But it, to me, it kind of goes against the traditional model of uh, being competitive like, in, in the marketplace, right? Um, which and when I say a competitive, it's not only competitive like this, like company A with company B, but within company A, people are being competitive. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a model that never really felt right to me, but it was always propagated, always propagated. 
uh, in many different ways. But this model just seems so much more holistic and beneficial for everyone involved. Well, you know, as far as competition goes, and, uh, you know, I am, I've always been sort of competitive, but uh, what I've had to realize is I just want to go where my customer is going, not where they are right now. Mm-hmm. So my, you know, competition or the other, the other people doing websites or whatever, social media marketing, whatever it is out there. Yeah. What they're doing is great. And if they've got a great idea, sure. I'll, I'll borrow that, but I don't chase after them. I just try to figure out what is it that my client needs that would get him the best result. And where do I think these things are going as far as the business world goes? Like as far as doing websites, I mean, you got to compete out there now with Wix and, and companies like that where, you know, a few bucks and they've got a website. Yeah. And, you know, the way that you approach that is you go, okay, well, you've got no, you've got no one to really help you, no one to bounce your design off of. You end up trying to take your message and try to fit it into a predefined box that somebody else did. But the benefit of it is, hey, it's just a slow monthly price. Okay, so you change your offering. So now for, you know, a hundred bucks a month, they get the website, they get the domain, they get the hosting, you do some marketing for them, and they just pay that fee every month. It's much more palatable and it's a lot, there's no real barrier uh, to entry for a, a new business to get in and start to get their website up and have a beautiful site. And then for you as a you know business owner, it's re- that recurring revenue. Right. So you, you kind of go to look for what is it that you can do for them that they need that benefits everybody. And um, so I'm always trying to look at what is the next thing they're going to need? What, what do I think the trends are going to be five years from now? And I try to look at that and go to where my client's going to need to be or where they're going. Makes uh, sense. When, yeah, when it comes to that, that competitive nature of uh, businesses, uh, I, I think that they took it from sports because they saw, oh, competition's great. Look how great, the, you know, and, and, and a lot of, Business people tend to be athlete uh, fans, fans of athletics and stuff. And um, the problem with the default in it is that in sports, you can have a team that's hyper competitive against one another. You have receivers uh, going up against each other, first, second string uh, receivers. Um, mm-hmm. But when the game is on, they're playing as a team to win. And it's like there is no actual game in um, in business world. It's like every day is the game. So it's like teamwork. Uh, has to be come up come above competition against your your fellow second string receiver. Uh, you you have to put that aside because the the game is on twenty four seven in a way. Well, yeah. Well, think about it. When your analogy, what happens? The best team wins. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the best you know players, but the best team. The, the the people that can pull together and and work as you know one unit. And uh, yeah, I mean, if you focus on your team internally, and I, I really think this, it was. Uh, Richard Branson said something about, you know, take care of your, take care of your employee, your employee will take care of your customer. Mm-hmm. So if we're working on getting our team really strong and they just love being here and they want the place to succeed because it's, it's all of us, we're succeeding. I mean, how, how's anybody going to beat that? You know, and that, that's really how companies should be working anyway. So you're, yeah. you're, you're trying to, trying to just build everything up together. I like that that quote. I, I feel like um, people forget about the customer a lot. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of a, like a Continental. Um, Continental Airlines was like the worst um, airline for decades. And then uh, they were like, you know what? We're just going to focus on the customer and just make sure that the customer has a good time flying. And uh, and then they went, you know, they, they had their big jump. Um, 
that was like back in the 90s, 2000s. Um, yeah, they they had gone through what something like seven or eight CEOs, and the last yeah. one that came on board, he got rid of the ivory tower mentality of the people at the top, and that might uh, be a sign of the, the baggage handlers throwing bags. You know, he he brought the whole thing together. He he built the team. He made he took uh, disgruntled workers and he he turned them into people that loved you know being there and felt like part of a team. And all of a sudden, the whole company turns around. Yeah, you know, so the, yeah, the, the Continental Airlines story is, is a great example of of what you can do with teamwork and, and proper leadership. Which is, you know, it's the other thing we talk about is, uh, you know, leadership is really just looking after the guy to the left of you and the guy to the right of you, making sure that everybody else is doing okay, and that fits in with, you know, respecting everybody else, being open, empathy, you know, and being able to work as part of a team, collaborating. Um, you know, I. I we teach the young people here. I'll, I'll, I say kids all the time when you're, you know, how it is Anthony, when you're 47, 48, whatever, anybody who is like a few years younger is a kid. Right. So, yeah. so we say the kids all the time and it's meant with the, the most love I can put into it. <laughs> it really is. Um, you know, what we teach the kids that all the time is that your job as a CEO is it's the CEO position is the ultimate role of servitude because that's your job is to make sure everybody in your charge is is happy has what they need and you even have to anticipate some of their needs before they need it because that shows them that you really care and this is the place to be and at the same time go raise money and find clients and run the day-to-day you know so that everybody has a job and everybody uh, can work together so it you know being ceo is is not the greatest gig in the world i'll tell you that right now it's a lot of responsibility yeah a lot of people rely on you yeah, a lot of people rely on you to like you know to put food on their tables, right? So that that's a huge sense. That's a oh responsibility. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Anthony, who's the the Kenyan guy that we had on like a, a few a couple months ago? Um, Gus, Gus. Gus. Um, yeah, um, I remember saying this to him as well, and it's like it, it's like with, with the mindset that you have, you know, there's just no way that you're not going to be successful. If like you you look at as being a CEO as a, a position of servitude, if you you know have these that, that core those core uh, uh, those four core ideas and, and uh, um, uh, ethics that that it basically transcend your your company the company itself, um, it's like there's no way you're not going to be successful with this. And um, I, I guess um, uh, we could I would like to transition this and kind of talk about the mind and the the meditation and the and kind of uh, getting getting your 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 psyche focused with this kind of mentality. So, so that people can kind of, you know, kind of embody what, what you're doing. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I, I can tell you the most powerful thing for me, it, it seems has really been affirmations and, um, there'll be days where I turn around, I'm like, man, just something amazing happened here. It's like, how did that just happen to work out? I'm like, Oh, you know what? I have an affirmation that, that basically programmed me, the universe or whatever it is. For that to happen, I, I really feel very strongly about affirmations. Um, you know, I think, you know, getting up in the morning, hopping in a shower, I like to do the last few, you know, last minute or so of it as cold as I can take it. Right. Because it just gets me up and going. Gets harder to do in the winter. Yes. But, uh, it's great in the summer. But uh, <laughs> winter's where it really <laughs> there, there is no winter in Reno. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've now, unfortunately for me, I've gotten out of the habit of going to the gym and working out because I've gotten so busy, and that's just right. an excuse. That's just resistance. We know that. But the typical routine was get up, hit the cold shower, go to the gym, 
uh, I would come back, then, you know, get a real shower and then uh, meditate. And then on my way to work would be the affirmations as I'm in the car, I can just belt them right out. And you uh, yell them out, you say them out loud yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You want to show us? Oh yeah. I'm a high performance chief executive and human being. I share my vision with others. And I want to follow a law. That's, uh, that's my other one. I have 210 pounds of ripped to shreds, badassery. When I walk in the gym, I make the free weights cry and the machines tremble in fear. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a rap song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was the other one? I'm so happy and grateful that every day the exact people and things I need come into my life. The, the, those are like, ma- that's magic. That, that, those are incantations. Those are like, yeah, that's you're right. Literally, <laughs> you're literally creating your, uh, you know, your, your, your bending reality. Yeah. Yeah. Actual physics. And that, that's, that's amazing. Thing. Uh, uh, the other, the other one I do too, is like what I told you guys I do now, which is, um, I'm so happy and grateful that I get to do what I love doing all day, every day with people I love, respect and admire. And then I'll add to that. Our mentoring program is helping thousands of young people around the world every day. That's good stuff. I, I love that you memorize because that's the reason why people, why people are like affirmations don't work. And I'm like, okay, how are you doing them? And they're like, well, I go on YouTube and I type in affirmations and then I listen to them for five minutes and then it gets boring. And I, and then uh, I say, it doesn't work. I'm, I, I read a, a 6,000 word blog about how it doesn't work. Um, wow. So you're not, you're not doing it right. You have to memorize them and you have to say them and, uh, and you have to say them with some emotion and stuff. And you, and, and uh, you, you, I mean, you're doing that right. In, in, in my opinion. And, and I'm very like stern and strict about this stuff. So it's, yeah, I mean, of approval. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks. That's good. <laughs> yeah. You guys have the London real experience there. It's, it's nice to hear, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, they really do seem to work. They, they um, t- take all the woo woo out of, you know, quote unquote woo woo out of it. And when you're saying these things, what you're doing is you're telling your subconscious mind, this is what it is. And so on these little micro levels, you're not aware of under the surface, you're going to make the decisions and do the things that are going to get you in that direction. Yeah. And, and that's the whole, that's the whole key is it's like a micro change. Like you have to say it over and over again, because every time like you see an advertisement and this advertisement implies that you're fat or that you're, you're, you're stupid because you don't have a specific car or something, it, it pushes you back down and makes you think less of yourself. So you're always fighting that, that constant uh, negativity in, in, in such a way. Yeah, and you've got to word things in such a way. Um, instead of saying something like "I never get tired," you want to say "I always have energy." Right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, look at Google. What was it? What's their uh, their slogan? It was "Do no evil." Do no evil. That's a horrible slogan. Because guess what they're doing now? Yeah. How about only do good? Or you know, because your your subconscious mind doesn't compute like that. It doesn't see negative. All yeah. it's gonna all it's gonna see is evil. You know. And it takes everything. It takes everything literal, and it can't. Uh, it, it just doesn't pick up on uh, on negative. And, and and you see that in uh, in like basic logic. You, you prefer you prefer it to say is not. I, I mean, you prefer it to say is as opposed is. to is not. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but that's that's all very good stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, so so what's up with a? And you say you you try to meditate and um, like what what. Kind of meditation are you doing well the meditation is pretty pretty simple um i do this sort of a, a countdown from three to one well, well basically i'll walk out and I've, we've got this uh, straight back chair it was my grandfather's and i'll you know kind of just sit in that feet on the floor take a deep breath and i'll, I'll count down from three to one so i'll, I'll um, 
oh man, it was this uh, Jose Silva um, was the guy. So I used, you know, kind of part of the Silva myth. And I always, I always liked the, uh, the alpha level, the whole way they, they did that. And so you use it a little bit more for programming, you know, than, uh, than some other types of meditation. But I'll do this three to one. So I'll, I'll visualize, I'll close my eyes and on, you know, what they call your mental screen. So it's just not on your, you know, you don't want to uh, project this on your eyelids, but somewhere out in front of you. The number three, you say it, say it mentally, repeat it, see it three times, take a deep breath, relax your body. They do the same thing with the number two. And now you want to sort of project yourself into one of the most relaxing places you can imagine. So you've got physical relaxation, mental relaxation, and then you do the same thing with number one. And that's where you try to go from more of a beta level down to your alpha level. And then from there, I'll do a countdown from 10 to one. And I'll take a lot of my affirmations and I'll, I'll state those in the positive again. And just other things I want to have happen throughout the day. And then I'll do a countdown from 20 to 1 and just go down further and just try to chill out for about 10, 15 minutes. And I'll tell myself that I'm just going to be that way for the next 10 minutes. And after 10 minutes, I'll, I'll start to wake up. And then I come out of it and I count back from, you know, 3, 2, I'm sorry, from, yeah, uh, 3, 2, 1 backwards and, and come back out of it. And so it takes maybe, you know, 20 minutes total. But it just sort of sets you for the day. But I, I like to use my affirmations in, in that phase as well. Mm. Try to get them to go a little deeper. And you do this every day? I, I try to. There's days like, oh, crap, I you know overslept or whatever. But, uh, yeah, usually once or twice a day I'll, I'll meditate. I like awesome. to do that when I first wake up and before I go to bed. I've been trying to uh, – I have been meditating every day. Well, I've been meditating for years, but uh, we started again every day – probably at the beginning of September. It's had a huge impact on me. We took, um, if you ever get a chance, I would recommend uh, Joe Dispenza's course. I took a seven-day course with him, and he he goes through, um, he actually explains from a scientific perspective what happens when you raise your brain waves, which is the same thing as raising your consciousness. Uh Um, And he goes through different... I'm going to write down. Joe Dispenza. Dispenza, D-E... E-P-E-N-Z-A. But he has a lot of scientific information and research behind why meditation works, right? Um, One of the things he mentions is the best time to meditate is when the melatonin levels are the highest, and that's Mm -hmm. usually between midnight to 4 o'clock, right? Um, And I've been getting in the habit of getting up at 4.30, to do the meditations because, because one, like you're all, you're already kind of in that state between um, this reality and like a higher dimension and the melatonin levels are really high. And I found that when I'm doing that, the meditations are a lot more powerful, meaning I, I feel a lot happier when I come out of them and the rest of the day is kind of flows so much easier. I know Justin's been doing it also for, I guess, longer than me now, like six or seven months, getting up at like four o'clock in the morning and doing meditation. But it definitely does set the pace for the rest of the day. Yeah, I like it when, when like, basic logic, like, meets, like, these crazy, um, like, scientific discoveries. So, like, I started meditating at four in the morning simply because I didn't, I was so sick of getting three phone calls at uh, while I'm trying to meditate and, uh, and or a car drive by with blast, blasting their music when I'm trying to have all the windows open and everything. And, uh, um, and then, and then Anthony comes up and he's like, 
Like, so there's actually a scientific reason as to why uh, you have better meditations at 4 a.m. And I'm like, well, then that's just great. <laughs> now I have the science to back up my uh, my reasoning for for waking for going to sleep at nine and waking up at four. Uh, that's that's cool. I'm about to try that. But yeah, meditation is something I've done for a lot of years. Um, it was funny because I, you know, I've done uh, martial arts for over 25 years, and they never taught us to meditate in uh, American Kempo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, is that but karate? I, is that karate? Yeah, yeah, it's an American American system uh, founded by Ed Parker. You know that that's an interesting topic in and of itself. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, Joe Rogan videos, and they were talking about martial arts mm-hmm. and. It, like jujitsu is supposed to be like one one of the best martial arts, right? And, and to me, it's it's kind of like wrestling. I never thought of it as a martial art, right? And uh, he was talking about the evolution of it. Like people would you think think of martial arts like karate, Bruce Lee, and then all of a sudden, out of Brazil came this type of wrestling that kind of took the world by storm, right? Sure. And the whole concept of martial arts changed with that, and now. Um, like when you look at, uh, I started getting into MMA fights to just understand like the progression of martial arts. So now it's like striking and, and being able to do the jujitsu. It seems to be like at the, at the top in regards to skill sets, like Mai Tai boxing and jujitsu. Like if you have that down, that seems to be the, what wins mostly in MMA, which is completely more to the jiu-jitsu side anyway, completely different than the way I thought of martial arts, martial arts before. Yeah, it's very different. I mean, they each have their place. I mean, I've, I've worked with um, some MMA guys in the past. Oh yeah? Oh yeah, I worked on, you know, worked on what they call dirty boxing. So you're doing stuff that's really up close and, uh, and whatnot. But I mean, these different martial arts they have their place. So if you're, you could be some just badass at, at let's say kicking, you know, you're like a, a Taekwondo guy who's really, really skilled, just kick a dude, you know, right in the head. Well, now if you get limited space, now these kicks, you, you can't work them. You know, Kempo's really good. It works basically in a phone booth, you know, right. but, you know, you got very, very small space and very fast hand speed. Reminds me of like That's great, but, but let's say that, let's say that, um, oh, I, I remember watching a movie and uh, they're fighting underwater. And the jiu-jitsu guys got that one. Oh yeah! <laughs> now it's all wood and couple. It's, it's contact manipulation. So there's out of contact, in contact, contact penetration, and contact manipulation. And at contact manipulation range, these jujitsu guys, man. You know, I mean, try fighting somebody. Uh, let's say you're in the. Uh, it, it's really cold out. You're in your big, you know, your ski gear or whatever, or you're in a parka. Try punching the guy and hurting him to a parka. <laughs> Not going to work so good. Plus, you can't. You don't have much motion. That's but right. You, you can still choke them out. <laughs> yeah, but now put the situation in a bar fighter against a couple people. You'd rather be able to strike, hit hard, pick up a beer mug, and whack a guy with it. Yeah. Versus roll around on the on the ground yeah, where everybody, you know, everybody's going to. And in bars, I mean, I've seen this happen. You know, they they have a boot party on the people that are on the ground. Just these bars get pretty rough. Um, my instructor, he owns a bar in Evanston, Wyoming, and there was, used to be nothing up there, but uh, the guys are working on the oil lines. And um, there weren't very many bars. He owned one of the very few. And he said they either wanted to meet girls or get in a fight, and there were very few girls. <laughs> he was the only bouncer at this place. And uh, he, I'm sure he was raised pretty tough. His dad worked for the FBI, 
worked directly for Elliot Ness and uh, interviewed Capone. Really? Wow. Yeah, he was a guy. He was one of the guys that had to interrogate Capone. So that's where they retired to. And, and um, yeah, this this guy this guy was no joke. But uh, yeah, see, I learned a lot of stuff sitting with with him. You know about mm-hmm. uh, what happens in a bar and what the reality of these fights are and and what you have to do. And uh, yeah, all these martial arts definitely have their place. And what you're seeing with MMA is you saw all these different martial arts come together. You got to see them pitted against each other under a certain set of circumstances and rules. And out of that evolved what we have now. So they took the two, two things that are, and I, I want to call jitsu uh, a basic at all, because these guys that are so good at it, it's like a chess game on the ground. But um, the two most really effective things, Muay Thai kickboxing, which is very straightforward, powerful punches, kicks, is, you know, kicks get your hips in there. That and then right from that to the closer uh, range is, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is what's one out. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really interesting to see where that's where that's gone to. But a lot of karate guys, I thought, oh, man, you know, you can't get in on me and, and grab me. No, no, I've, I've had it happen to me. I Really? I was. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I was it, it was a sparring situation, but we we pat up. We hit each other pretty good. And the guy come in I I'd keep him off. I hit him. After a while, I just got too tired where I can't turn quick enough. He's coming in. I just start laughing. I know he's got me. I know it's like, <laughs> like oh, crap. <laughs> that sounds like what happened to Conor McGregor a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get to see that one. I've been pretty busy, but yeah, he's one of my favorites. That guy, his, his uh, attitude, he's a, he's a real lesson in uh, stoicism too. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I remember when I was uh, doing my, my kickboxing and uh, martial arts, um, um, I punched just like him, and I, I remember getting yelled at because he would he would punch while moving his feet, and, and uh, he would throw jabs, and, and it would always throw people off guard because they they wouldn't know that there would be a fist there because he's moving his feet, so he shouldn't be throwing a punch. Uh, he does that like when he steps back and he does an uppercut as he's stepping back. I think he caught, um, I can't remember the name, name of the guy, but um, anyway, it, it was just so satisfying to see one a lefty. Um, <laughs> so I'm a lefty also, so and and two, he's just he's. It looks like he's flailing, but he knows exactly what he's doing when he's do- taking those, those, uh, those, throwing those punches. But um, when it comes to martial arts and, uh, and consciousness, it, it, uh, it fascinates me how many, uh, in the East, how many um, martial arts were so attuned with, um, with raising your consciousness and being like a monk, like Shaolin monk, Tai Chi, even like yoga. Uh, oh, yeah. It's like um, it's amazing how if, if, um, there wasn't brain damage involved in, in these fighting, in this fighting, that these would be the most um, conscious and aware people, um, at least for their, in terms of their bodies. Um, uh, but, you know, you, you get kicked in the head one time and you're like, uh, I have to make a decision now. Is this something that it, I want it to happen again? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and going back to, you know, consciousness, spirituality, and put martial arts in it, I think what drew me to it really is there's no other activity you know no other human activity i can think of that so blatantly lends itself towards gaining mastery mm-hmm. and that's the thing that it's mastery of, of yourself the mastery of your body and and the space around you ultimately and um that's just that's the thing about it there's different martial arts and different ways to go but we all have different paths we're all trying to get to the peak of that same mountain which is that self-mastery and that, that's what really uh, i think drew me to martial arts was it it's mm-hmm. That, that's the goal of it is that self-mastery yeah and, so, and 
Go ahead, Anthony. So self mastery takes me off on a different, like not a different tangent, but the same, t- like the same discussion, but maybe evolving it a little bit. Like this, I would love to know what, what your definition of self mastery is from, from like a spiritual perspective. Like, and, and you, you're utilizing martial arts to kind of get that self mastery. But what is the ultimate self mastery? Is it something like? Um, self-actualization like to Maslow's pyramid like do, do you have an idea what what that is for you or what what that will be for you once you get there to me really self-mastery is uh, the mastery of your own thoughts and emotions okay you know so that you can set yourself however you want to however you want to go um you never you know true self-mastery would be you never get in your own way again here's an idea i like to i like to um throw out there self-mastery might also be be able to get rid of thoughts like not having thoughts in your mind like oh yeah that that to me is true self-mastery because once that happens your consciousness expands way beyond your physical right and you you get you get you get a glimpse into who you really are which is a lot more than you think you are with the conscious mind yeah i I think you know maybe this just kind of hit me true freedom is when you don't care what anybody else thinks about you anymore and true right. mastery is when you control what you think. <laughs> it's beautiful. I might write that down. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be on the Wired Instagram channel. It'll be, it'll be one of the quotes. They, if you ever watch it, they have a, the kids here have a real uh, knack for catching me off guard and horrible, horrible uh, mid-speaking picture stills. So you look funny. <laughs> and, you might, and you might be, well, nobody's going to look at that goofy guy and care about that. <laughs> I'm just thinking that line is so good. You might want to use it for one of your branding exercises. <laughs> I just might. I remember when, when Anthony told me that he wanted to do this podcast and, um, and he was like, well, we'll interview these people and it'll be great. We're going to learn so much. And, and in my selfish brain, I was like, uh, well, conceited brain, I guess was, uh, was, Oh, what am I going to learn from, from these people? And, and, and it's like, Every time we have these podcasts, it's like, whoa, there is so much that I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, it's so amazing and fascinating to, to um, hear people like you, Tim, opening up and, and just explaining kind of your philosophy and how straightforward and easily adaptable it is or, or adoptable um, for other people. And, uh, and to me, I, I just feel like it's a blessing to, to even just, just have you on. And it, it's been great. Oh yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, uh, talking with you guys, I, I, yeah, trust me, the learning goes both ways. Um, just to be able to sound some things off and to hear what you guys have to say back and your own philosophies, it, it's really great. And I mean, I think what's so cool is that you know the group from London Real, you, you just that whole pool of, of people right there. You've got people that are on a similar path to begin with. Yes, you know, everybody wants to improve themselves. I guess maybe self mastery is is that goal eventually. I mean, I what so. are you trying to do with like something like that life accelerator? You know, what was, what was one of the modules master of the mind, you, you know, that's and a, how, that's, how that's many a good London point. real course. Sorry. Go ahead, Justin. Uh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, that was always the point that I was trying to articulate to the London realers was, was if you're at a point where you're like, I need a course on speaking, that means that everything inside your head is awesome, is relatively awesome. Like you, you, you have this stuff going on. It's just getting it out into the real world that's the trouble. And, and when, when you know that and you go into like a, a basic like business um, like uh, thing where, where people aren't, aren't doing, aren't trying to express out ideas, 
um, but just trying to relearn themselves, you, you, you could almost, it was almost black and white that you could tell that the London reelers were at like head and shoulders above the, the standard simply because of, of where they were at in their lives. And, uh, and, and they, they truly had something important to say. Every single one of us did. And, uh, and, and they were, and we were all able to articulate them relatively well. Um, so yeah, I mean, this group was great uh, in that respect. Well, yeah, there was something really special about that speak to inspire group. And uh, I mean, one opens up and then the other, I think uh, you, you really got a sense of people because the things that we all opened up about were so deep and so personal and, you know, everything from sexual abuse to just, you know, amazing, amazing to, to make that kind of connection with people. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I had, I think maybe three or four different people that were having, having troubles. I had personal one-on-one, you know, zoom calls with them. It's just amazing. The stuff that I was able to learn and, and share and just the connections you make. It, it's just crazy. Um, oh, but Anthony, you, I think you were going to ask me how many of the courses I've, I've taken. Yeah. Um, yeah. I took speak to inspire. And then right after that, I went straight into life accelerator. Okay. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, man, I almost didn't make it through the life accelerator. It was because I was just so spent and uh, sort of in the middle of it, all the stuff about my son came crashing down on me one day. I just, I got up one day and I mean, I was just horrible mood. And I, uh, I got to the office early. I think I got in at like uh, seven in the morning or something. And I'm thinking, and I just, I just broke down and lost it and cried. I was only one in the office and lost it. Really? And um, uh, Chris Albert, I kind of, you know, stayed in touch with after that and <clears throat> sorry, chatted with him a little bit. He helped get me through it. And then uh, I actually sent something off to Brian going out. Oh, he's not going to probably answer this. He's got a lot of people to deal with. And about two hours later, man, he hit me back with just a dose of, you know, pull your head out and uh, help other people with what you've gone through. And this is the place to, you know, to do it in this caring environment. And, uh, you know, I owe that guy, both those guys a debt for the rest of my life. You know, so the, the people that I've met through this, um, I, I've still got friends on this that I, I talk to pretty often. So it, it's been pretty amazing. You don't think you connect with people online like that. It would be so weird, but it is. You know, seeing you guys right here, it's, it's really no different than if we were in the same room. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's really a, a great thing. Speak to Inspire was the first time where I really understood, like, the power of the Internet to, pe- to bring people together. I, I never had, like, an experience with people coming together virtually that had such an impact uh, on my life. Uh, it, 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 it was... It was mind-blowing in many ways. But to tell you the truth of it, Tim, is that no matter how awesome that was, it's unfortunate you didn't make it to London. Because London was like 10x that. Like it was Yeah, I, I, I really wanted to go. And I just didn't have the funds at the time. So I had everything wrapped up in this business, you know, started getting it started up. They, like yep. we, we met there on the Friday. Everyone gave their speeches. We all went out afterwards and had a blast. Like we went out for some drinks. And then Saturday, most of us met. Uh, there was this bar right next to the London Studios, right? Uh, London Real Studios. And we met there. And we were just chatting. It was like seeing old friends I hadn't seen in a long time. And then a few of us, Justin and myself, ended up going up. And Brian did like one-on-one interviews uh, with us, right? Which is fucking awesome. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah, that was cool. And then that, <laughs> and then that Saturday, um, we had a, all of us had a dinner. Like we rented out this place. We had a dinner. 
and uh, people were giving speeches. Brian gave a speech, and then people go up randomly gave a speech. Justin gave a speech. Do, do you remember Terrence? Yes, I think I do. Yeah, he like he always had a, like a high energy guy, right? He got up there, yeah. and it turns out that he was he had a hit R and B hit a song. Oh yeah, 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 I remember. Right? So he got up and he started singing. Like it was it was a magic. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah, it was awesome. Very very cool. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty special group, and I, I really wish I could have gotten to London on that one. And then I did the Life Accelerator. Didn't go to London for that one either. <laughs> I'll have to do another course down the line just to go to London. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember I was thinking whether or not to do Life Accelerator, but I was, uh, yeah. What happened after London Real is that like, uh, I wanted to do things, like not, not learn anymore. I wanted to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got more into that more that like, you know, let's go off and do something meaningful. Um, and, and I'm glad I did. I, I think I think at some point I'll take another London Real course. Um, but that one was so awesome, it felt like I needed a little bit of time away from it. Yeah, if I would advise anybody, man, yeah, Speak to Inspire was a pretty emotional one. And then yeah. Life Accelerator is, is no lock in the park either, but it sure is easier after going through Speak to Inspire. But I'd advise anybody, I would say, take a little time in between and just you learned, you know, decompress and then, then hit the next one. Yeah. One right after the other. I think what it was is I, I loved that experience so much. I didn't want to give it up. Right. And so that, you know, yeah. Going, you know, it's, and I, I was feeling the same way. I was thinking, I don't want, especially after going to London, right. I don't want to give it up, but, but, but in some ways it felt like, okay, I got all this positive energy. Now it's time to like, grow up for real this time and take that positive energy and go into the, much like you did, go into the world and make a difference, right? Like what you, what you did with a wired insight is, is awesome. Like that's the opinion. I think what, of what everyone that took that course really wanted to do, like set up the world and make an impact on other people, positive impact. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a whole lot more to do. I mean, we're just getting started, but uh, thanks for, thanks for saying that. But yeah, I mean, everybody in there, that that's what was so inspiring about it is you, you look at these people that all want to do big, great things. And you're looking at them like, you're like, man, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to be talking to this person right now because probably six months a year from now, they're, they might be inaccessible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's just, you know, you had no doubt. It was just amazing how, uh, Anybody that puts the money up and puts the effort in to, to do something like that, put themselves out there. Yeah. You, you know, you've got somebody there that, you know, they're on that same course or that same path in life. They want to, well, they want to make an impact and they want to inspire others too. And right. uh, I'll, I'll tell you the going into life accelerator after speak to inspire, the first thing you had to do in life accelerator was do, do a little quick video and say who you were. So, oh, nothing to it, man. I've just been doing live Facebook videos every other day for how long? In fact, I even screwed up stuff that was supposed to just be on the private Facebook group I put on my other one. <laughs> you know, but I, I could not give a shit. You know, it's like, here's how I am, like it or not, you know? Yeah. Um, but then going into Life Accelerator, I do the little video, and the first thing I, I see is, wow, you're so confident on film. You know, when you video yourself, how do you do that? How do you... I'm like, oh, that's right. These guys didn't go through that one first. <laughs> and so I got teamed up with a couple of people that just did not want to be on video. Really? And so I sort of gave them my story and, and stuff. We did, you know, Zoom calls back and forth one-on-one. And by the time it's done, these guys were on video like nothing to it. 
I mean, it's just crazy just how people get used to it. Right. I'm not saying I did something that helped them. I just tried to give them a little push like, hey, I had a real hard time with it at first. And what I found was um, if I were going to record myself, I'd get through it. I'd be going through my speech. It's going great. And I'd go, turn it off, start over. (laughs) If I'm doing it live, I'll just get past that and keep going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. uh, I remember that well. (laughs) Yeah. All this little uh, stuff, I mean, uh, it's like a, after, for me, after London Real is like a, every little thing was like to slightly improve my ability to communicate. And then it, it to me, it all culminated. It, it shouldn't have all culminated. Like I think I interviewed, Anthony and I interviewed bigger people than what I interviewed yesterday, but I actually got paid to interview the CEO of a NASDAQ company. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, uh, and doing the interview and everyone was like, like, um, first of all, like, you know, the way I speak, I'm not a financial guy, but I, I trade stocks and I've done it for 10 years. So I understand the lingo, but I, I like communicating and, and, uh, and, and getting a little drawn out sometimes. Um, just cause I like people to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, um, but, um, they were fascinated by, by they're, they're like, hey, how old is this guy? Like, uh, how, how long have you been on, uh, and, and it's like, if, if I didn't do London Reel and then didn't do the gold course with Anthony and then, didn't start making YouTube videos every single day. It had, had the first thing, the easiest and yet most expensive thing happened. Um, uh, not had happened. None of that stuff would have happened. I never would have met Anthony. We wouldn't be doing these podcasts. Um, it's just crazy. I was just like uh, one little thing in your life. And uh, you look back at it from like a year, a year and a half ago, a year ago. And, no, it's uh, a year ago now. Yeah. A year ago now. And, um, and, and you're, you're like, wow, that, this is a, a big change. I, um, I can stare at a camera and talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, the barrel of the gun. It's amazing that ripple effect. You do one little thing, but yeah, that's the thing. It's me too. Like I'm perfectly comfortable, you know, in front of a camera now. Um, still unhappy with the uh, what I look like, but um, I'm at least comfortable in front of the camera. Because <laughs> that, that's what we do here. You know, we're we're essentially a media company, and so I might be talking on the phone or doing something, and kids gonna walk in film what I'm doing and walk out or I see stuff. And we, we have these weekly recap videos. Like, oh, I don't remember saying that. I didn't know I was being filmed. <laughs> right. You know, they sneak up on you, but <laughs> you know, when the kids come in here, they have to sign, uh, they sign some paperwork. that's kind of an agreement that says, here's what we're going to try to do for you. And here's what you're going to do back. The effort you're going to put in, they sign that they sign an NDA and they have to sign a media release because we're filming in here all the time. I, um, I recorded myself. I, I accidentally pressed record on a QuickTime, and my so my screen was recording my face for ten hours straight, and um, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know at all. So I was doing my work, and nothing will make you feel more like a psychopath than watching your watching yourself after recording yourself and being like, "So that's just how I act," you know? <laughs> and yeah. I'll be just like sitting there writing, and then I'll be like, "Fuck," <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, everyone just has these outbursts every once in a while. And if you record and you go, oh, man, I, I actually do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so glad there was no uh, recording me years back when I was programming all the time. Because, man, I'd be there two days solid and things aren't working out. I might throw a piece of furniture. You yeah. know, and I, I just yeah. don't want to, I, you know, I didn't want to be that person anymore. And so uh, everybody that knows me is kind of like, no, 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 we, we know you don't want to do development. But if you'll consult on this or point us in the right direction or, or whatever. And I think the biggest thing for me was um, 
you know, I thought my value in the world was being able to, you know, sit in front of those screens and, and code away for, for hours on end and come up with, you know, ideas and, and engineer things. But it was something I didn't want to do anymore. Mm-hmm. And then after, um, you know, Speak to Inspire and, and some of the other things I started doing, people that only knew me in that context as a, you know, a programmer or engineer, like, no, no, I, your value is not that anymore. Your value is, is you know, coaching people and, and inspiring. And, and it, man, that just, that meant the world to me, you know, because it was a, you know, 40, what was I, 46 at the time? It's, it's a tough shift to try and make. You know, I've, I've, this is how I've made money in the past and I, I did pretty well with it, but now I just, I just can't get myself to do it anymore. And, um, you know, do I have any value as, as this other, this other type of a person and how do I build that up quickly? So, so that I can, you know, feed myself, <laughs> it, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty scary. And now as we're shifting more and more into, uh, you know, now really we're becoming a marketing agency, you know, where I thought, Oh, we'd be doing some light development and websites and, and logos and, and and that type of a thing. Now it's more full press uh, media and marketing, and uh, I'm I'm really enjoying it. But yeah, it's it's tough to make a shift like that. Tell me about it. <laughs> you you just described my current situation to a T. So, and that's why I say hats off to you for making that transition. That that that's incredible. Oh yeah, it's like what we talked about earlier on. Is you know your your vision or your purpose in life, it may change. Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, I wanted to have this piece of software that was the greatest thing on the market that did these things, had these features that nobody else could touch. And that drove me. And now, oh man, I, I just can't, I can't really walk through code the way I could before. I just don't want to get drugged down into it. To me, it feels like uh, untangling boxes of Christmas tree lights all day. It's it's impersonal to you, right? You you need that human contact. You need need to feel like you're, helping people right that that's the yeah. shit yeah yeah it, it, it became a complete have to instead of a want to right and uh it just Chase, there's just no fulfillment the there that's that's yeah. right just just chasing the money yeah i mean one of the clients we've got right now i mean and this this the new mindset it extends out to our clients too we've got this client his name is bill andrews um he's he's a pretty well-known scientist he's been in some documentaries and what he's trying to do is cure human aging. And uh, yeah, yeah, and he's close. <laughs> he's close. What? How close yeah. is he? Uh, a few million dollars away, he might have it. He might have it. Wow. Million or billion? Million. Okay. Yeah. So he's, you know, in, in fundraising mode. But uh, just this incredibly cool guy to work with. Um, I go over there and I, I help him with, with tech stuff, you know which isn't what I normally do, but for, for this guy, I'll do it. And uh, we've done some really neat, uh, some video work and some logo work and other stuff for him too. And he just, you know, seems to love, love this company and what we're doing here. And we think what he's doing is amazing. And we've got a few clients that are like that, that are just these, these people you just want to work with. And so it, it's very fulfilling. I would think the cool thing about what you're doing is it, it, it is so inspiring and, and different and needed in especially in today's environment that you naturally attract other like-minded people who are doing incredible things in the world you cannot not attract those type of people right so by the virtue of doing what you're doing you're going to meet even more and more interesting people 
Well, sure. Look, I'm hanging out with you guys right now. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really do appreciate you guys wanting me on your podcast. I, I, I love this. This is yeah. That, that was Anthony's way of uh, getting getting you to compliment him. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how this works. I yeah, see. That's how it works. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no. yeah. I mean, I, I, we keep we keep going back to the fact that um, uh, how happy we are that, that we get to do this with interesting people and it and it just it shows that our society is a little, a little starved of this kind of um uh way of talking with people because you know you usually it's, it's always about like how's the weather going how are you doing and uh yes them something too deep and then they start joke you know making jokes with you and stuff not like not like at you but they don't they're, they're like scared to have these kind of conversations oh yeah sure they're they're not easy to have and um I think that's what that's one of the main things I got to speak to inspire was just put it out there, just let it go. Because then, you know, after I lost my son, it's like I'm not afraid of anything anymore. Well, right. What can they take from me? Right. You know, <laughs> that's kind of how I I started to look at it, and uh, just that's you know, cool. you can again, you can go really negative, you can crawl into a bottle, you can let it destroy you, or you can try to rise up out of it and and um, and use it. Yeah, that was like that was like almost a straight paraphrase quote out of Marcus Aurelius. Like, what else could they take from me? You know, oh. <laughs> that was that was uh, that was stoic as hell. Yeah, it's just what what else do you have to be afraid of? I mean, as you're, as a parent, your worst fear comes true, and yeah. you turn around and you found you've got a lot more friends than what you thought. Um, I mean, I have. I'll, I'll tell you how something else that kind of came out of that is uh, with my other two partners in this business, we have a Zoom call like this every Tuesday and Thursday night. It's our, our you know, we have a little uh, board meeting because um, my other partner, Mike, is in, in uh, Henderson. So he can't be here all the time to see what's going on. So we we talk. And most of the time when the meeting's over, I'll be, all right, love you, Nikki. Love you, Mike. Talk to you guys later. You know, love you too. That's just how it is. Or, um, you know, my co-founder, Nikki, she's, off doing something and, and I'm talking to one of one of our uh, clients who's a friend of mine in, in the conference room and I was just telling him how great it was working here and what we built. And I go, well, watch this. I just get out of the room, out of the conference room, love you, Nikki. You hear, love you too. <laughs> you <know? laughs> and that's what my work is like. You know, it's just an amazing, it's just an amazing thing to be able to, you know, when I, when I say I get to, you know, work with people I love, respect, and admire, uh, I really mean it. You mean some it. people check one or two of the boxes, some check all three. <laughs> everybody, everybody gets respect. There's something to admire about pretty much anybody you come across. Mm-hmm. And if you've got empathy for other people, guess what? There's love too. So it's it's not that it's not that uh, hard of a thing to find, but it's a wonderful thing to hold on to. Mm. You know, once you once you found it. Beautifully said. So one of the things that's been becoming quite evident in the last like three or four podcasts is um, as we're talking about like spirituality, evolving yourself spiritually, uh, you know, uh, mentally, socially, is that there there are a lot of ways to do that. Like um, using the core principles in your place of work, doing the meditation, doing the affirmation. Um, But one thing we've discovered, especially recently, and this this call is definitely – uh, represents this is that having deep conversations with people that are 
out in the world doing inspiring things and are passionate and motivated about what they're doing, having deep discussion with them is probably like one of the best ways to evolve yourself upwards towards that top of that pyramid. And, and again, because of that, because of the qualities conversation, Tim, I would just like to thank you again for being on the podcast. Like we're an hour and a half into it. We probably, we probably could probably go. <laughs> yeah. Well, we probably could go for another hour and a half, but we want to be to like you to your time. And I know it's a, a Saturday, and it looks like you're at work, so I'm sure you got some work to do there today. Um, so we just like to say thank you so much again, and maybe at some point in the future we can have like a, a follow-up podcast. With oh, that that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. and, uh, and on top of what Anthony was saying, that one of my favorite things is that um, about this. <clears throat> It's like it, it, um, sometimes people think that like the Jordan Petersons and the uh, and the Eric Weinstein's and everything, but they're just one in a billion people. But there's all these other people that aren't going. They're not going to get 10 million uh, subscribers on YouTube, but they're all doing their own like their own thing and and hitting these these levels. Um, and, and and you know, it's not just these these 16 or 20 you know intellectual dark web people. Is there like there's a lot more of these people out there than than what the media apparently wants you to believe of of these very intelligent people that are getting are getting stuff done. And oh yeah, I mean when, when when you hear Simon Sinek talk, most people go, yeah, you know what that 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 just rings so true. It's something I knew but I don't articulate. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people out there just like you said that already are thinking this way and they just don't get their, their 15 minutes or their, their, their opportunity to share it. And if you can, you know, find those people, put them on your podcast and, and learn from them and other people can watch and learn too. I mean, that, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a real service to other people, you know? Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah appreciate it. Um, well, great. Yeah. Let's, let's do this again real, real, real soon sometime. Yeah. It'd be great. I really enjoyed it guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, well, good. Tim. Good luck with um, the company, Tim, and we'll, we'll be in touch. Yeah, excellent. Good luck uh, with your podcast, growing that thing out. All right. Take care, man. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.